As you're listening to me, Daisy, Apple's iPhone disassembly robot, is dismantling an iPhone into lots of recyclable parts. That's how Apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods. Thanks, Daisy. There's more to iPhone. Hello and welcome to the Game Podcast from The Times. I'm Natalie Sawyer. And I'm Gabriel Marcotti and we thank you for joining us on this bank holiday Monday where the nation gathers and goes not to work in honour of the people who run the nation, the banks. With us in the studio, it's Alison Rudd. And down the line from his billiards room in beautiful Rippenden, it's Ollie Kay. Later on, we'll be looking ahead to the Champions League semifinals. And those of you who complain that we don't do enough championship on the show, we'll be joined by the one and only George Ellick from the Not the Top 20 podcast to discuss the playoffs. But we start with the race for the top four, a race that looks to be over after Arsenal could only draw at home to Brighton on Sunday. The Gunners now must rely on winning the Europa League if they are to qualify for the Champions League. Alison, it's four games without a win now for Arsenal. Did they blow that top four finish then? Well, of course they blew it. It was, <laughs> it was there for the taking, wasn't it? They, they, they could have just upped their standard in the league uh, where others were failing and put pressure on the other teams trying to get into the top four instead they they gave them an out if you were writing fiction you wouldn't do it this way because Spurs were wobbling even in their brand new stadium they were wobbling Arsenal fans would have loved nothing more than to have 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 had that as the denouement to their season that, that that their arch rivals had moved into a brand new stadium and they were the ones that, that were architects to making sure that they weren't going to get um, a Champions League football in it instead they've reverted to to Arsene Wenger type if you like which is it seems to me of late Arsenal have looked in league they're a very different beast in Europe strangely but in the league they've played attractive football sometimes very attractive football and they've got two world-class strikers I would argue when things go wrong, when things go slightly awry, when the opposition gets slight grip in the game, when there's a slight wobble in, in, in possession or whatever, they, they, they let it get to them far too much. They're not very good at overcoming obstacles. And that used to be, I think, the, the, the main reason that, that fans got quite cross with, with the Wenger era. There was that lack of backbone, that lack of ability to adapt within a game to things going wrong. It was in their hands and, yes, they blew it. I, I'm not even so sure that they're that good in Europe. I mean, they were very good against Napoli, but you know, they lost against Batibor, Sov, and Ren. Ren, that's right. Ren, Peter Cech's old team, Ren. You know, you lose to a mid-table yeah, French yeah, side. Yeah, well, yeah, I wasn't I wasn't trying to say they... they, they uh, I mean, of uh, late. Their character in Europe has been better, because when it's gone wrong, they've, they've, come they've, back. they've, yeah, they've no, found no, a way I, through it. I, I take that. I, I just don't understand how you get gifted a penalty early on, you're playing at home against a team which has nothing to play for, a team that's presumably they were celebrating the night before. Maybe they were just celebrating with like the snacks from the minibar, but they were celebrating and you can't ride it out. Not just that, but Brighton really took the game to them. I thought Brighton played really well. Ollie, I, I hate to do this and revert to type, but this is really bad, isn't it? Spurs have limped over the line in terms of the top four and they've still finished above Arsenal. And it's four points from six games. They haven't been particularly tough games, uh, Arsenal, I think most people would have looked at that Arsenal's run in and thought it's a presentable one, they've got a good chance to, of, of 
scraping that, that top four finish, which I think is very important to them. In the last few weeks, they haven't been good. Yesterday, when I was there at the Emirates, I thought they were really poor. I know I know their fans might might look at a flurry of missed chances in in, in the second half and, and um, you know, Mkhitaryan hitting the post and, you know, one silly mistake by Xhaka. But I, I thought in terms of overall control, composure, quality in the game, I thought they were really poor. Brighton certainly deserved the point, could have turned all three. And um, yeah, it just seems like they've run out of legs, but run out of ideas. Emery's team selections have been a little bit more eccentric because he's, he's um, tried to juggle the squad, and it just wasn't good enough. And I know everybody's looked at Lacazette and Aubameyang as, as, as the saviours of their season, but uh, and, and the guys who often made the difference between a one point and three or no points and one this season, but I, I didn't think... Um, I didn't think they showed at all yesterday, apart from the penalty. Ollie mentioned there then that the, the squad's not as good as others. There's an imbalance there. We know Aaron Ramsey, of course, is leaving. He said his goodbyes to the Emirates crowd as well as he's leaving for Juventus this summer. So, Alison, how much work does Unai Emery have to do to improve this squad? The model at Arsenal is not going to be one where they're going to splash huge amounts of cash. They're, they're, they're supposed to be going down the intelligent route, making sure that they... Um, harvest all they can from their, their youth teams and buy more intelligently rather than just go for, for big names. Um, that's why they, they hired Emery, uh, because he he would be more organic. That still leaves room for a lot of work. I just think it's 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 interesting cause, because because they when they signed Torreira there was this idea that they'd signed a bit of an animal in inverted commas. He was you know, he was the pepper army, he was the he was the the the, the bit of, of Oh, fight and verve. And when he first joined the team, he thought, yes, 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 if Arsenal go down this route of being able to ally, they've got a lot of beautiful passes in that team, um, you know, epitomised by Ozil, who could be a little bit flaky, but very gifted. And if you backed him up with people who could be really gritty in midfield and win the ball and find him, then you're getting a balance right. But he seems to have been sucked into this malaise Arsenal, which is where, as I've said, I just feel they're a team that, that need it to be going their way. They're, they're not pragmatic enough within games. So I think they just need to, to find a balance. that I thought they, they were starting to. This black hole of, of insecurity is too great. They need, they need to work harder at it. I was looking at this, and I think the rebuild might actually take a lot more than people expect. And, and, and the reason being is, first of all, not being in the Champions League is an instant shortfall of anywhere between you know, 50 and 80 million, and that's money that they can spend. Secondly, Ali, they're locked into huge long-term contracts with Aubameyang, Ozil, and Mkhitaryan. Those guys aren't going to—I mean, you'd want Aubameyang to leave, but you know you can't move those guys because they make—they make too much money. Like as that himself isn't a kid anymore. He's what twenty-seven now. At the back, where people seem to think that they're all terrible, they're all close to thirty or in their late twenties. I mean, certainly the, the central defenders are. Maitland Niles is a wonderful wing back. I don't know if he trusts him as a right back. And obviously Bellerin will come back from injury. We'll see what condition he's in, but that's been a really bad injury. I don't know if Monreal is a viable left back or is Kolasinac is a viable left back for that matter. It just seems like there's so many, and obviously they have to replace Ramsey somehow. It was apparently Emery's decision that we won't meet Ramsey's contract demands. We'll reinvest the money elsewhere, and which is a position really forced on them by, the, by what they did with... Ozil and, and Mkhitaryan and, and Aubameyang because they've got so many big earners already and Ramsey looks hungrier than those those players he's younger than those players and they've got 
you know, a, a hole to fill there. And it's all right saying, OK, we'll look at all this money that this frees up on a wage bill. But do you trust this regime to, to get the right players? And, and even if you look at what they did last summer, I think you could go through those signings and say, look, individually, in isolation, they've all been all right signings. Leno, uh, Socrates, Guaduzzi, Lichtsteiner, Torreira. But in terms of an overall plan, strategy, that really isn't clear. It just hasn't been clear for years with Arsenal. So, Natalie, yeah, we're in times. We need to stop Ollie because he's really <laughs> depressing our Arsenal, produ- Arsenal <laughs> yeah. supporting producer, yeah, Charlie. Let's go and talk about something happier, right? Manchester United? <laughs> hmm, yeah. Well, we know f- for certain they'll be playing in the Europa League next season. Arsenal do have that second chance. If they win the Europa League, they'll be in the Champions League next season. But Manchester United only drew one all with Huddersfield. Gab, let me ask you, does Ole Gunnar Solskjaer get a free pass for what's happened this season? No, he doesn't. He's the permanent manager. He's got uh, three years after this. I think he needs to be held account. And, you know, I think we, we've learned some things. We've learned that you know, if you have a manager who tries to motivate and, and get the players to play by by calling them out and being tough and whatever and, and all heavy and like Jose Mourinho, then United don't get very good results. And when we have Mr. Happy in, you know, United still don't get good results. And so the instant conclusion that people jump to is, oh, look, they're all bad players. This squad is rubbish. We need 50 new signings. Well, this is the squad that finished second last year. With Mourinho. I, I don't buy it. I think people are just prone to this overreaction. Now it's about blaming the players. I heard Paul Pogba crucify. Paul Pogba hit the woodwork twice. If he scores those goals, then all of a sudden it's how important Pogba is and whatever else. Whereas now, you know, he's like one life form above Phil Jones. I, I, I think it's complicated and obviously there's there's a lot of work to be done. You have to serious questions. Is Phil Jones, and I don't want to pick on the guy, because he's not the only one. Chris Smalling got a big contract extension too, I think right around the time that they sacked Mourinho or, or just before. I want to know why do these people keep getting new contracts if you don't think that they're good? You, you know, you can't have it both ways. So no, Solskjaer doesn't get a free pass. And in fact, I would hope that United put some kind of break clause into his contract so that, you know, if this general turgid, turgidry, is that a word? No. Continues, <laughs> it should be, right? But you understand what I mean, right? No, and the other thing too, right? I love watching Talith Chong play as much as the next guy. But it's also, it reminds me of, I remember a few years ago, Ebsley United, when, when they had that thing where you could like vote the starting lineup. It almost seems to me like, oh, look, people want to see kids. Okay, look, this guy's good. Let's, let's chuck him in there. You know, Mason Greenwood. Yeah. How about you develop a way of playing that makes sense? You don't change your formation every week. And show signs that you're moving in the right direction rather than just throwing stuff at a wall and hope that it sticks. You've raised the crucial point there, Gab, which is conclusions. You know, people, false science in a way, people draw conclusions from things that aren't necessarily true. I mean, it could be the body language of Paul Pogba doesn't reveal that he doesn't care enough. It could mean that he cares an awful lot and he's frustrated by them not playing the same formation every week, for example. You don't you don't know what's going on in someone's head for their... For their body language to be a particular way but how do you, you you're putting a lot of blame on Solskjaer how do you think he's had time to improve the stats because they still don't run as much as other teams they're a very very static team they seem to have fallen behind the curve in terms well, of what you need to be able to win a Premier League game these days so first of all on on the physical stats 
I'm kind of skeptical in general about them because a lot of them have to do with the way the match itself unfolds, whether you score first or score second. If you're a high-pressing team, then you generally will have better physical stats in terms of distance covered because you, you run around more. It just so happens that Liverpool and City are high-pressing teams, so they have very good stats. That is not the only way to win games. They didn't finish second last year by outrunning everybody. They finished second last year, and admittedly it was a million points behind City, but by playing a different way. Now, as far as I know, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, his big influence, as he keeps telling us, is Sir Alex Ferguson. That was not a high-pressing, buccaneering team. They played a different type of football. So I just want to see something. You know, I, I don't... I think he's playing like what you would expect, which is a guy who won the league in Norway, has a couple years of experience, and maybe his approach in being positive and supporting and trying different things is the right approach, but where he comes up short is as an actual nuts and bolts manager, he's not as good as the guy before him. And the reason the guy before him failed was because he turned into you know something that rhymes with stick and, and it annoyed everybody, right? But... I think it's as simple as that. And I just think they need to make it. I, I don't know. Uh, Ollie, do you see forward progress here from, from Manchester United? I saw forward progress the first few months. But, I, I, I mean, we can look at it with hindsight. And I think probably a lot of people said at the time that, you know, it's been a, a gentle run of fixtures in the main. That they, In the bigger games against Spurs and um, Chelsea and Arsenal, they got good results. But, you know, they they certainly rode their luck against Spurs. They rode their luck against PSG. You can you can look at that period and say, well, look, they were working hard at that pit in those in that run of games after Mourinho left. It was, it was like Pogba and Lingard and Rashford and others had got a new lease of life, and they were playing with freedom. They were playing with energy, and then it just goes away again. And that that is worrying for United fans because it suggests that the players had turned off before, before Solskjaer arrived, before Mourinho left, then they turned it back on again, now they've turned it off again. And if, if Solskjaer has found that after three months, his approach is meeting with lethargic performances, as it has done for, you know, not just yesterday, but for for weeks, for, for, for the past two months, really. I, I don't think they've played well since, since um, I would say Arsenal away, um, which was their first league defeat under him, was probably the last time they, they really played well. And that period immediately after Solskjaer arrived and Mourinho left, they looked well coached, they looked engaged, they looked up for it, playing with freedom and confidence. And then they just revert to, to, to this. And it's, it suggests that there is no winning mentality in the dressing room. It's just they're not fit enough, as, as Solskjaer said, but it just looks like an imbalanced, disjointed, apathetic, lethargic squad. And, and I think when people... when People suggest there should be a, a clear out and a, a massive overhaul. I, I totally agree. This season, with your subscription to The Times and The Sunday Times, you can watch every highlight and every goal from every game in the Premier League. It's just £8 for an eight-week trial. It's time now to look ahead to the Champions League semi-finals. The prospects of an all-English final look slim, particularly with Liverpool facing a 3-0 deficit as they welcome Barcelona to Anfield on Tuesday. Alison, we know all about the famous Anfield nights in Europe. And as we record this, we've got confirmation that Mo Salah is out of the second leg then 
at Anfield to go along with Roberto Firmino. He's not able to play either. Do you still believe? Well, they're, they're, they're two pieces of news that, that make believing more difficult. I, I will accept that. But 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 it, it just brings me back to the the Champions League final of last season when Salah started but had to come off early. And, th- and that had a very bad impact on, 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 on his teammates and they, they visibly drooped uh, and felt they couldn't do it without him. But th- now they can prepare knowing in advance that, that Salah won't be there. It can have one of two effects. I mean, it could do the same thing again. It could just make them feel this is an uphill task and we're not going to be able to do it. So why expend the energy when we've got a, a title we can play for? Or they could take the view, this is almost a second chance we saw how we were impeded by him being uh, taken off against Real Madrid in the final. We can show that we're more than a one-man team. And also, I mean, they're, they're not just a two-man team, perhaps, in that case. I mean, it's a, it's a big blow that Firmino won't be playing. But they can say we can show we're not, we're not reliant on those two forwards. Um, we do have some depth because it's been a bit of a narrative that compared to Man City, for example, that the Liverpool don't have the depth of squad. But they do. They do have bench players that have come off and played a part this season. So I think it's a huge test for Klopp. And if he was to pull it off with those two players missing, it would be uh, one of the incredible stories of Champions League history for sure. Ali, let me tell you and Alison how this is going to go down because history (laughs) does repeat itself. There's a team in red with raucous local home support and they lose the first leg by three goals, but with their performance, the scoreline should have been much, much narrower than that. And they come home and they have a goalkeeper with a girl's name, Allison, who saves everything. And they go and they keep a very high line and they press the crap. They press the crap out of Barcelona. And there's no Usman Dembele, who, by the way, pulled a hamstring this weekend, will be missing from the game, which means that their strikers are both in their 30s and not particularly quick, which means that because they have a godlike center back, was a Greek god in their case, Kostas Manolas, it's a Dutch god in this one. They just go put the pressure off, and every time Barcelona tries to get the out ball over the top, they just win it back and put it right back in, and they end up scoring the winner with a, a headed goal from their divine central defender, which Liverpool also have a divine central defender. What is the big deal? They beat them 3-0, goes into extra time and penalties, and they're through, right? I mean, there is a pathway here with or without Roberto Firmino, and even with without Mohamed Salah, because Roma didn't have Mohamed Salah a year ago, right? One small but significant difference is that it was 4-1 in the first leg when, when Roma lost. And, and that away goal uh, makes it a little bit easier. It's easier to turn overturn 4-1 than it is, than it is 3-0. I, I just, All you have to do is get to 3-0 and then you get an extra half hour to play. I mean, it means um, it means keeping Messi quiet for, um, for, for 90 minutes. Yes, and it means true. keeping Suarez and Coutinho and Rakitic and others quiet. And I just... I, I think it will probably. I, I feel like it's probably more likely to go the other way. I think Liverpool will give it everything for half an hour, and and if they haven't got a goal or two on the scoreboard by then, I, I feel like Barcelona will probably just run away with it on on the counter attack. Maybe um, maybe do more damage at the other end, and I could even see it reaching a point where Klopp thinks with you know, twenty thirty minutes to go. Well, we're out of this. We now need to conserve energies for Sunday because the strange thing about this Liverpool season is that, I mean, in recent years, it, the Champions League has been the be-all and end-all when, when they've when they've been in it, which hasn't been all that often. But but you know when they won it in 2005, when they got the final 2007, other semi-finals when they got the final last season, the Champions League was everything. And 
you can argue that particularly from this situation, 3-0 down, it's not even their biggest game of the week. Now, I don't think that's the attitude that Klopp will take into this game, but say they were losing on the night and, and no chance with 20, 30 minutes left. I mean, what what's the point in keeping Sadio Mane on? Tottenham travel to Amsterdam on Wednesday night, 1-0 down against Ajax. They lost 1-0 at Bournemouth as well on Saturday, playing for almost 45 minutes with nine men after two red cars. Now, Alison, you were there. Is that the worst possible preparation for this second leg? Yeah, pretty bad. I mean, apart from anything else, you you go into that second leg, you're the Premier League team, you want to go in with some sense of uh, maturity, stature. We're, we're playing for the the more renowned, the best league in the world attitude when you go over to, to Holland. Ajax had the weekend off for, before the first leg of their semi-final. The weekend before the second leg of the semi-final, they're winning the, comfortably winning the Dutch Cup. Indeed. So they are, they couldn't be better prepared. They're getting plaudits, ironically, for being old heads on young shoulders. I mean, their superstars are 19, 20, 21 their captain is 19 years old. They are. They don't play like a team that have known each other a long time. They have known each other a long time. They've grown together. They're a proper unit. They've bought very well. They've just bought in a couple of Premier League players to add a bit of, of nous to the, the side. Nothing that Spurs have done in recent weeks as, as would make Ajax feel nervous about facing um, a Premier League club on home soil. And it's also reminded Spurs themselves that they have this inherent problem that when it gets to the the scary climax of a season when they're within touching distance of the g word glory they they seem to just lose the plot slightly and there's not even an excuse anymore with spurs that they are a young team we've been calling pochettino's team a young team for five years now they're not young anymore they are they they've been together a long time too and they should have they should have found a way of getting over these ridiculous hurdles where they as soon as it becomes pressured they just sort of I don't know what it is about them. I, I find it hard to believe that such a thing as an innate characteristic of a club, but they do not seem able to navigate it when it becomes near. But that's why they, is have near. To, they have to ditch all this. This is where Pochettino earns his stripes. Right? He's got 101 mitigating factors this season. Injuries, nonsense, Harry Kane, contracts, blah, 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 new stadium. If he can sit down to his players and say, listen, all we need to do is score one goal. We score once. And then it's like hitting the reset button. And then we go and we knock these orange clowns out. Because frankly, <laughs> these doofuses lost at home to Real Madrid. They should have lost at home to Juventus. Man for man, we have the guys that used to play for them. And we got them because they're better. And that's Alderweireld. That's Fertonga. That's Christian Eriksen. We have Hongmin Son, who's, a, who's the magic man. Man for man, we are a better team as individuals. And we've shown that we can play as a team Let's not listen to Allison and all her negativity about St. Totteringham's Day and throwing hissy fits and whatever. Let's prove to them that this is all wrong. We can easily go there, score a goal, and then we hit the reset button. And then we beat them because we are better than they are. That's what Pochettino has to tell them. And I don't think it's that far-fetched. Spurs may not have an opportunity like this to play in a Champions League final in anybody's lifetime, right? So here's a chance to do something, and I, I hope they don't blow it. I hope they go out there with the right mindset and we don't see Eric Dyer getting sent off after 18 minutes. You know, the thing was his eyes sort of glaze over and he becomes sort of dead-eyed and weird and, and whatever, and Vertonghen hurts his head again. I don't want to see that. I want to see real Spurs. I want to see the team that we think they are, or that I think they are. 
As you're listening to me, Daisy, Apple's iPhone disassembly robot, is dismantling an iPhone into lots of recyclable parts. That's how Apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods. Thanks, Daisy. There's more to iPhone. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. It was the final day of the championship season yesterday with the playoff picture now fully formed. And we're joined now by George Ellick from the Not The Top 20 podcast, focusing on all things Football League. Hi, George. Indeed. Yeah, hi. <laughs> you and your co-host, Ali Maxwell, have written a series of previews for The Times, looking at all 12 playoff contenders in the EFL. So there's one more place up for grabs in the Premier League. Four teams going for it in the championship semi-finals. It's going to be Derby versus Leeds, a fixture with added spice, you could say, based on earlier events in the season, George. Yeah, and I think that sums up why the championship's so great when you've got Marcelo Bielsa and Frank Lampard being being key rivals after that Spygate. There's no other league in the world, I think, where you'd get those two managers with such different backgrounds, such different experiences, but both massive high profiles going into a two-legged playoff game with so much at stake as well, so... It's going to be interesting to see how they do it. I mean, I think what you've got to say about Derby is they got this huge win against West Brom over the weekend. And Derby have this reputation for being bottlers. And that was the opposite of that. Uh, at one all going into a game where they knew they needed the three points, they got the victory that they needed. And Frank Lampard deserves credit for it because I've given him some sick this season. I'm not convinced he's shown himself necessarily to be tactically that brilliant in his first campaign. But uh, but for them to go over the line the way they did was was really impressive. And it's going to be a huge couple of games coming up. What about Leeds then? Are they at a disadvantage given that they threw away the chance to automatically go up? It was so, it was looking all so good for them at one stage. Yeah, I don't want to use the word bottle again, but uh, <laughs> but it's, it's been a, it's been a poor couple of weeks, a uh, few weeks for them. Uh, they threw it away over the Easter weekend when they had the automatic promotion in their own hands and, and they couldn't get over the line. Um, the football they played this season has been fantastic, but any comments that this is a, a, a Bielsen burnout, I think, are wide of the mark. Um, they, they've struggled to put chances away they've continued to create chances at rate they don't necessarily have the strikers needed to perform I think Patrick Bamford has been a huge disappointment for them uh, who's obviously now got the second game of his suspension coming up in the in the in the semi-final the job that Bielsa has done if you look at the squad itself if you look at how it's been assembled this is by no means one of the most expensively assembled squads in the championship I think they've surpassed all expectations and just because of how well they performed the first few months or first six or seven months of the season it's easy to look at a, this finish they've had as being disappointing whereas really I, I think that the job he else has done has been incredible to finish the, this season despite the disappointment of not getting automatic promotion if they can get back into the kind of form that we saw them in a few months ago then they're definitely the team the team to beat. Can you try to just talk about that a little bit because it's 
I'm not a regular watcher of the championship at all. Shocking. But, <laughs> but we'll change that. No, but but from 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 what you said, right? So obviously, I know Norwich have been really good this season. I'm assuming they haven't been big heavy spenders either. If you're telling me Leeds United haven't spent heavily, I'm just wondering that this idea that. You hear all these ex-pros on television yakking on about the championship and you need the Germans backing and you need at least 50 million to get out of the championship, blah, blah, so competitive, blah, 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 blah. You're telling me Norwich did not spend a lot of money. Leeds United, you're telling me, have not spent a lot of money. Villa and Derby, I assume, have. But is it really the case? I mean, do you really need to go and... And, it's, it's a- and what do you spend it on? Do you spend it on Premier League players or do you spend it on foreign players or championship players who've done a job for you? It's, it's, it's an interesting question, especially with Norwich, because Stuart Webber, who's the technical director there, he also masterminded Huddersfield's promotion as well. And so that is a means of... And that was not... But that was via the playoffs, though. That was via the playoffs, yeah. It's kind of like yeah. cheating, right? Well... Because they finished like 50 given, or 6? Give it, give it. No, no, yeah, they, I'm joking. But, uh, and they stayed up. Too. But he, I mean, he is someone who's showing... I, th- I think you're exactly right on what you say about these ex-pros, more eloquently than I could probably put it as well. And, and it's something that frustrates us as well because there was a situation with Darren Moore a few, a few months ago when he was sat from West Brom and suddenly people who, who genuinely don't care about the championship or, or don't comment on the championship are up in arms saying it's an absolute disgraceful decision. And actually, if you speak to West Brom fans, they were happy with the decision. And, and the context, it's, it's very hard for people to watch people look at a, a league table and just make their mind up about what's, what's going on in the league just based on, 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 on where a team is finishing at the moment. So you talk about money spent and Chris Wilder and the job he's done at Sheffield United getting them promoted as well it just shows that throwing money at a problem isn't necessarily the only way to, to get results here um, Wait so the team that finished first and second do not have because we, we talked about this before when Sheffield United went up I, I used the test of like how many of these guys have I heard of mm. right and could count them on one hand just about <laughs> so if you're doing it with these guys who are not highly paid who did not cost a ton of money Shouldn't clubs learn from this? You'd think so. And, and I mean, I know this is what I'm here to talk about, but when, when you see who the names that are being linked to the Manchester United <laughs> sporting director's position, when you look at someone like Norwich, who are bringing through these amazing youth players and recruiting really smartly from abroad, because they brought in a specialist who knows what he's doing. I mean, I, I can tell you right now, guys that you won't have heard of at the moment, Emmy Buendia, Max Ahrens, Jamal Lewis, Ben Godfrey, you're going to know who these guys are in six months, because they're going to come up with Norwich into, into the Premier League and show just how good they are. Let's talk about the other semi-final then. It's West Brom against Aston Villa. You've sort of touched on the Darren Moore situation, but if you were to look at the table right now, and for those that don't know about the championship, probably people would look and think, well, Darren Moore was sacked with West Brom in the playoff picture. They're still in the playoffs. How has the football changed, though, for West Brom? And are West Brom fans happy now? I think the biggest issue here is that no, because the replacement process was completely bungled. Yeah. Uh, James Shan, who was the caretaker manager, came into the role, got a few wins, did okay, and, he, and he's still in the position now. But there's no way that when the decision was made to, to sack Darren Moore that that was the plan. Uh, they brought in Michael Appleton just to kind of help him out, almost an assistant, but in that dugout just till the end of the season, who's a manager that I have a lot of time and respect for. So bringing him in now for these last few games should, you'd, have, you'd hope, have a positive impact. A two-legged game against your rivals in Aston Villa is going to be an unbelievable watch in Villa have been in fantastic form since the turn of the year and arguably going into this are the form team out of the four. But as we know with these playoffs, as Gab says, they're a bit of a lottery. So whether that translates into the matches, we'll see. Mm, you mentioned them being the form team. Of course, they lost to, to Norwich yesterday, but it was a second string 
Aston Villa. And, and with regards to their form, they've won 10 and draw one of their previous 11. Dean Smith has really turned it around there. Dean Smith and John Terry, yeah. Uh, the, 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 I like um, to give it uh, the credit to Dean Smith. Aren't you forgetting somebody? And Richard O'Kelly. Richard O'Kelly. <laughs> uh, they, they, they've been fantastic. And I, you know, anyone who listens to the podcast or has done before will know that I'm a bit of a bit of a Jack Grealish fanboy. And, and if you look at their form with him, with him in and out of the team, it's absolutely unbelievable. I think they've got 13 points from the 13 games where he hasn't played. And they're averaging about two points per game when he does. And he's just quite clearly head and shoulders the best player in the league and, and shouldn't be playing in it and next season I'm sure he won't be whether that's at Aston Villa or whether that's at Tottenham or, or other clubs he's been linked to I think Manchester United were one recently as well although that seems to be way too sensible um, <laughs> but uh, but so Villa have been you know, Dean Smith came into a job where again a lot of people looking in from the outside weren't too happy to see Steve Bruce leaving that post um, a guy who's obviously got a lot of friends in football but Smith's come in he's a, he's a boyhood Villa fan his whole family are Villa fans He'd done a fantastic job at Brentford. Um, I think we could both agree, Natalie. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, and he's come in here, and, and initially the results turned around very quickly, and the form absolutely flew. And then they had a bit of a wobble, and what impressed me was the way that he managed to coax them out of that. It was when Grealish was out injured. Uh, it looked like their playoff hopes had gone. I think they dropped down to 10th in the league at one stage, and then went on this club record winning streak, um, which has now sadly and finally ended with that Leeds game. Um, but yeah, going into it, and, and they have the, the heart rate from last year as well. Where they lost the playoff final to Fulham, I always think that's going to be a big plus because having been through the disappointment, you're not going to be overawed by the occasion, but also I think it just makes you more hungry and it's just going to give you that edge. And, and with the Grealish factor, with it, if they do get through to the final, with that likely being, is possibly being his final game for the club, um, I think there'll be an extra bit of impetus there as well. It is time now for our weekly predictions game where we try and predict these scores in five featured matches this weekend. And I will start, Natalie, by patting myself on the back because, of course, you went for a Spurs win at Bournemouth. But I believe in the cherries, and I correctly called Bournemouth to win this one, and also Juan Foyt and Hongmin Song to get the sent <laughs> off. So I, I get 12 that. points for this. Oh, okay, then. Uh, however... While you went for a draw between Newcastle and Liverpool, I was correct in my prediction for a Liverpool win, so we're all square there. Not quite, because of the referees. We had another absolute stinkathon of a weekend. I roll on VAR because, of course, well, I was happy as a neutral that Liverpool won because we get an exciting end of the season, but how was that a foul on Fabinho? <laughs> That, of course, led to the free kick. Of course, VAR won't correct that. Better referees will. So what happens after that, Gab? Well, we both went for a Cardiff uh, <laughs> victory because it made sense. but uh, And we wanted to keep the relegation battle going. But alas, they were beaten by Palace. And we both went for Notts County to win at Swindon. Which would have also made sense. Exactly. And maybe stay in the Football League. But they were eventually beaten and relegated to the National League. Which... wonder what pictures of themselves that guy, that guy took. <laughs> I don't even want to think about it. Oh, which meant it all came down to events in Rome. Gab, you thought the Atalanta fairy tale might come to an end with defeat to Lazio, but I had faith I'd back them to win away and boost their top four hopes. And that's exactly what happened. Another victory for Atalanta and another victory for me, Gab. Yes, I have to salute you. You were absolutely right. I don't see how Atalanta keep doing it. They've scored, I think they've scored more away goals this season than any other team in the top five with the exception possibly of Hoffenheim it's, it's absolutely wow. it's completely absurd what's happening and they <laughs> thoroughly deserve to wipe the floor with Lazio and they're fourth in the table now 
Okay, enough of that. Time for some quick hits. Cardiff fall at home to Crystal Palace, which means they go down to the championship alongside Fulham and Huddersfield. Ollie, you're going to miss Neil Warnock, aren't you? Since we seem to spend so much time talking about his personality and the stuff he says, how about you tell us something about his football that goes beyond he makes Cardiff hard to beat? Um, well, this was his fourth attempt in the in the top flight of the include Notts County in ninety one ninety two the last season pre Premier League. He's never quite kept a team up, and it's it's sad really because he, he you could make the argument that in in the past decades that there has been no better second tier manager than than Warner. I think there'd be a, a few contenders, um, but he just he always goes up with these teams which are workmanlike he never really wants to to change the dynamic of the team and he's never quite able to he's never had the financial backing to to transform it and he's never managed to keep a team up it's a chain but i i don't i think it probably reflects overachievement in getting a lot of these teams promoted and i include cardiff and Notts county back in the day and sheffield united rather than proving his um deficiencies as a premier league manager Chelsea have qualified for the top four after a 3-0 win over Watford this weekend. It's all ended quite happily for Maurizio Sarri. Yeah, and and the narrative of the season has been he was going to be an absolute flop. He started well. At the start, it felt like, wow, this guy who was a banker knows nothing except Italian football. He's got to grips with the Premier League and um, he's unbeaten. And he's, he, wow, what an astute signing. And then it all went wrong because... He ended up being quite um, unpragmatic and uh, very stuck in his ways. But you have to give him credit. He has stuck through really, really strong criticism and he's stuck with it and he's, he's, he's got what people thought he wouldn't get, which is Champions League football next season. Natalie, one for you. Mm-hmm. We talked about the Leeds-Aston Villa controversy last Monday where Leeds let Villa score and we asked what would happen if the game really, truly mattered. Mm-hmm. We kind of got our answer in League One this weekend, didn't we? And I actually know we're going to go with this because I accidentally stumbled upon it on Sky Sports News. Yes. Okay, we did. You're going to have to bear with me on this one. It's quite a long explanation. But uh, Plymouth hosted Scunthorpe on the... F- Plymouth Argyle. Plymouth Argyle then hosted Scunthorpe on the final day of the League One season on Saturday. Both clubs began the day in the relegation zone. Both needed to win to have any chance of survival. So the stakes couldn't have been any higher coming into this one. Plymouth led 2-1 at Home Park with half an hour to go. And then their keeper, Matt Macy, who's on loan from Arsenal, had the ball in his hands. He dropped to one knee, raised his hand to signal that he was injured before attempting to throw the ball out of play. Now, let me emphasise, it was quite obvious he was throwing or attempting to throw the ball out of play. It wasn't a misthrow in any way. But Scunthorpe's Josh Morris had had ideas. He stopped the ball going out and sort of curled in the equaliser to make it 2-2. (laughs) Plymouth players and staff were incensed, as you might imagine. Both teams currently do have caretaker managers, so to say that. Scunthorpe's caretaker is Andy Dawson, the older brother of Michael Dawson. So the question is, did Scunthorpe let Plymouth score, as Leeds did with Villa the previous weekend? No, they didn't. Plymouth did manage to retake the lead 10 minutes later and win the game 3-2, but results didn't go their way and both Plymouth and Scunthorpe were relegated. Afterwards, the Scunthorpe chairman, Peter Swan, said they should have followed Marcelo Bielsa's example. And he said this, I apologise wholeheartedly to everyone. That's not the way I've run a football club and it's not the way I've come into football, so I'm really disappointed about it. Scunthorpe and Plymouth, of course, will face each other again in League Two next season. So when it truly matters, would a team allow the opposition to score in the Mm. spirit of fairness? I don't think so. 
end it now. This idea that players look over, see a, either an opposition player down or one of their own players down, and they decide, they take it into their own hands to dictate whether the game stops or not. There are laws for this. It's going to end in mass brawls at some point because it's not, you can't, it's not the player's decision to decide when you halt a game. It's down to the referee. Play on, play on, play on. Do not expect a favour because you've done something you're not supposed to do in the first place. Tony Cascarino writes in the game that the booing of Arsenal by their own fans, with many heading out of the Emirates while they did a lap of honour, was distinctly unfair. Ollie, are you in agreement? Have you ever booed your own team? Would you? Uh, I don't think I've ever seen anything to boo. Um, but um, it, it's, um, I, I think Tony got slightly wrong in, in that there were boos at the final whistle and a lot of people left. And then... You know, of the twenty thousand or fifteen thousand or so that remained for, for the presentation and the lap of honour and all that kind of thing, they were quite appreciative and they were singing Aaron Ramsey's name and, and um, so on. But it was, it was, it did fall, it did all fall a bit flat. But I think that's what happens with a lot of these things. It's, it, not many teams. If you look at a, a Premier League of twenty teams or a Championship of twenty four teams, not many of these teams have seasons worth commemorating or celebrating in any great way. Arsenal's fans, I can totally understand apathy, um, frustration for them. But you know, they, they do have a they have qualified for Europe already. They do have a Europa League semi final um, to play. It's first world problems, isn't it? Moving on to a bigger club, um, Paul Hurst reports that Manchester United players will be taking a twenty five percent pay cut after failing to qualify for the Champions League. Alison, so many people have been so critical of poor Mr. Ed Woodward this season. But this is a smart move by the club and by Mr. Woodward, isn't it? Can we at least give him a little bit of praise within this context? Uh, sure, why not, she said, rolling her eyes. It's a good move because it, it lets Solskjaer off the hook slightly because it sort of, uh, in a roundabout way, says it's the player's fault. They're, they're the ones suffering now. They're getting the pay cut. It's all down to them. Solskjaer's not getting a pay cut suddenly in, off, off his new contract, is he? So it's, it does, it does I think, underline that it's the player's fault, but maybe it's not so clever by Woodward because he's instrumental in putting those contracts, very well-paid contracts together in the first place and the decision to sign them in the first place. And if they're not very good and they all require a quarter of their salary to be locked off, it means he didn't sign them the right people in the first place. Gab, one for you. Of course, there was an excellent and insightful column from you on Paris Saint-Germain. They've won the league. Why has this season been so disappointing? Well, it's been so disappointing. They've actually, they've won one of their last seven games in all competitions. Now, the last time that that happened was way back before the Qataris even arrived in the 2010-11 season. And there's all this negativity surrounding the club and the damp squib of, of an end of the season. They, Of course, they they lost the French Cup final. They got knocked out in the semifinals of the French League Cup. They even get the little plastic domestic trouble that they all get so excited about. Um, and there were rumors that the Qataris are going to disinvest. Now, Qataris deny it. wouldn't make any sense for them to disinvest. It's not going to happen. But still, there is a ton of stuff to figure out. More financial fair play woes around the corner. Cavani being linked with a move away. They already this season had a tiny squad and already were affected by those uh, financial fair play restrictions, which is why you saw Eric Chupomotig being their reserve center forward. So a lot of things to, to, to figure out for them. 
Right, that's all we've got time for today. I'm sorry, but we have to leave you. Many thanks to our excellent guests, the very excellent Allison Rudd, Oliver Kay, who's also excellent in his own way, and of course, George Alec from the Not The Top 20 podcast talking to us about championship matters. Remember, you can subscribe to The Times and The Sunday Times to enjoy award-winning journalism online and on your smartphone or tablet. It is just a pound a week for an eight-week trial. Search The Times subscription for more information. We're going to be back on Thursday when we will know who will be competing in the Champions League final. I suspect it's going to be two of those four teams that we talked about earlier. Um, And we're going to be looking ahead to the last day of the Premier League season. Stay tuned. The game is brought to you by The Times. For more information and more podcasts from The Times, head to thetimes.co.uk. As you're listening to me, Daisy, Apple's iPhone disassembly robot, is dismantling an iPhone into lots of recyclable parts. That's how Apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods. Thanks, Daisy. There's more to iPhone.